0: The hypocrite might be you. Our text this morning is Romans chapter 2, verse 17 through 29. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you'd open your word to us. We pray that you'd open our hearts to us. We pray that you would show us where our hypocrisy lies and help us to repent and to be more conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. They were the morally superior ones. They weren't old and racist like those people over 40. They were woke. Not long ago in Portland, yelling their slogans, they dumped paint on an old woman's head and wrapped her in police line tape. And young men towering over the little woman screamed inches from her face that she and her older cohorts needed to die. This is hubris. Hubris means an excessive pride and arrogant self-confidence, often linked with youthfulness. It is also something that leads to destruction. This morning, we'll see in Romans chapter 2 that hubris hides hypocrisy. Hubris hides hypocrisy. Go and open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 2. We're going to begin in verse 17. Romans chapter 2, beginning in verse 17. And it says there, But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God, and know his will and approve what is excellent, because you are instructed from the law, and if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor to the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth. Now notice St. Paul's tone here. He says, If you call yourself a Jew, You see, in the early church, one of the biggest controversies that arose was you've got all these Jews who had begun to believe in Jesus as Messiah, and suddenly Gentiles show up. What do you do with those Gentiles? Do they have to become good Jews? Do they have to take the Old Covenant sign and seal of circumcision? So we've got Jews struggling in the church with what to do with these new Gentile converts that come in. Paul was a Jew of Jews, Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees, but Messiah changed all that. And notice how he lays it out here, a trajectory of hubris. We've got a Jew who boasts. He says he's instructed from the law. He claims that he's a guide to the blind. He says he's an instructor to the foolish. The law is indeed the embodiment of knowledge and truth. And I'll say it here and I'll say it again throughout this sermon. No one was ever saved by doing the law. No one was ever justified through the law, but the saved and the justified do God's law, and the Old Testament law shows us how we are to live as the people of God. So do you do it? To this Jew who makes all these claims about following the law, does he actually do it? Our land is filled with hubris of the worst sort. People who know nothing and have done nothing assumed to be experts and teachers on race, economics, religion, and political theory. Verse 21, You then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? Hubris leads a person to heights where one is caught up in focusing on others and not doing what you teach. The Jew who points out stealing in the law when criticizing others, but steals himself. Jesus dealt with these types of things. So a Jew would say, I don't, I don't go out and break into shops or into people's homes and steal people's treasure. And yet at the same time, they would create all kinds of policies through rabbinic teaching, so that they could come into the temple and then symbolically give their property over to the temple and then use it on themselves so they didn't have to take care of their parents. There's all kinds of subtle forms of stealing, and we've got to be careful not to be hypocrites about these things. And this is hypocrisy, and our land is filled with it. The mob that cries for economic justice but burns down the small business owner's shop and denies him justice. The teacher who castigates students for flying the American flag on the back of their truck but has no problem flying the LGBTQ flag next to the American flag in front of the school and thus by doing that are not loving their neighbor. Verse 22, you who say that one must not commit adultery Do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? The religious Jew looks at the pagan adulterer and curses them all the while committing adultery themselves. Jesus had to deal with this. You know, we look at the ancient world and we think things must have been so much more disciplined then than it is now. And in some senses it was, but we live in an easy divorce culture, no-fault divorce, but in the first century it was easy, easy, no-fault divorce. In fact, it was easy, easy, fault divorce for men. Jesus had to deal with this. So you've got a Jew that says, I'm not like the Gentiles. I'm not wrapped up into sexual immorality connected to the pagan temples. I'm not one who adulterates like those pagans out there. But what do they do for a very simple case? Like a woman burning her husband's dinner, they could get a writ of divorce, and thus they committed adultery themselves. Don't use others' sins as a foil for your own sin. The same Jew abhors idols and then justifies stealing from pagan temples. Friends, we can never have this sort of culture as some religious cultures do, to say that we're the people of God, we're the Christians, I take care of my own, I have one set of behavior for Christians, but I can do whatever I want to those outside, I can defraud them, I can cheat them, because they're not the people of God, God looks upon these things, and he wants us to do what is right and good, no matter the circumstance, and this is hypocrisy, and our land is filled with it, The Episcopal priest that cries endlessly about racism but has no problem slaughtering helpless black and brown babies in the millions through abortion. The woke apostatizing Christian with the coexist bumper sticker who stands in the crowd that's burning Bibles and is silent on the current slaveholding and sex trafficking of children in Islamic lands. The Christian fundamentalist who points out all the adultery and sexual immorality in our land, but regularly watches pornography. Friends, we are the people of God. We are to be those who do what is just and right. We're not to be hypocrites, verse 23. You who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. And the point is that if you're going to point out the law-breaking of others, you need to be consistent in keeping the law. And the law was always about family rules for those who are saved. We're told in the book of Hebrews that no one was ever saved by the blood of bulls and goats. But rather, through those sacrifices, they saw the coming of the final lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we see all the ceremonial portions of the law and what you do with sacrifices and how you go to the festivals at the temple. And we think in the new covenant that has no application to us. And yet we see how those things are applied throughout the Old Testament and how they're fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. And how the Ten Commandments still stand and are good and right Our job as a people of God is to mature and to understand these things. And let me say it again. No one in the Old or New Covenant was ever saved by doing the law. No one in the Old or New Covenant is ever justified through the law. But rather, we are saved by grace in the Lord Jesus Christ. And as the saved, the law informs us what is good and right according to God. Because for Christians, hypocrisy drags God's good name down with you. Hubris is the gateway to the easy game of pointing out the faults of others. And this is the province of children. Hey, you should not smoke marijuana like that. It's going to ruin your mind. It causes you to be put into an instant state of stupor. And then the teenager turns around to you and says, Well, you smoke cigars. That's the way our culture is today. But 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 actually, Godliness means taking your own sinfulness seriously and rooting it out seriously. Verse 25, "For circumcision is indeed of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? The earliest controversy in the church was what to do about these Gentile converts. And the early church met in the book of Acts. And what did they say? Did they say that these Gentiles coming in they need to be circumcised, take the old covenant sacrament upon themselves? They said, no. They have baptism. Baptism. The new sign and seal. Let them do what is good and right. They don't have to become old covenant Jews If the Gentile Christian obeys the law, then he is regarded as a Jew, a member of the kingdom in the new covenant. It won't do for us either, friends. We fall into the same problem, do we not? A lot of times, we in the new covenant look upon our new covenant sign and seal. We look upon our baptism and our membership in this or that church, and we think that's good enough. God wants us to do what's good and right in the heart, translating out through our hands And feet. God's not interested in empty words. It will not do for us to say, I was baptized into the German Lutheran Kirke. I was baptized into the Scottish Presbyterian Kirk. Nothing without faith or obedience. All things are nothing without faith or obedience. Verse 27. Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law Will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision But break the law Hypocrisy is a powerful disincentive to the faith In the early church, the Jewish Christian needed to live consistently With their position as the elder brethren in the faith They should have been like the Apostle Paul after his conversion He doesn't look down on the Gentiles But he looks at them as as younger brethren and him as an older brother, as a father in the faith, but not patronizing them, not putting extra burdens upon them, but welcoming them in and encouraging them and building them up as fellow heirs of the kingdom. Friends, we need to be aware of this as we deal with younger brethren in new evangelistic frontiers. When we see people come to faith in the global south, When we see masses of people come to faith in places like Nigeria and their theology is pretty bad. But we don't want to go up and pat them on the head and act like they're little kids. We don't want to hold them off, nor do we want to patronize them by not giving them the same standard of righteousness which we have raising them up and treating them as fellow heirs in the kingdom of God. And this all militates against the idea of Messianic Judaism you got these congregations where Gentiles come in and now you've got to wear a yarmulke. You've got to start living like a Jew. And especially for Gentile converts in a, such a movement as this, I think the Apostle Paul's words here militate against that. For he says the one who keeps the law is as though he were circumcised inwardly, as though he is a true Jew. Verse 28, For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. This is a true Jew. What is a Jew? You ever wonder about that? What does it mean to be a Jew? Twelve tribes went out into exile. The northern 12 tribes, 722 BC, carried off into captivity into the Assyrian Empire. They were cast out way on the edge of Central Asia. In fact, they went out there so far and they were there so long that people from those tribes still don't know who they are, what tribal group they're from. And so Jews from the northern kingdom can't trace their lineage to what tribe they originally came from. And then in 586 BC, the last two tribes in the kingdom of Judah, the tribe of Judah and Benjamin, were carried off into captivity in Babylon. Twelve tribes went out. Twelve clans, families, went out, and one nation returned. What does it mean to be a Jew? It means to be a Judahite. It means to be the Judah. They are now traced and accounted under one tribe, the tribe of Judah, the royal tribe, and all accounted under the tribe of David. And God in his providence was doing that. He was setting the stage, setting the table for something huge, 12 tribes went out and the Jews came back. 12 tribes went out and the Judahites came back and they were waiting for the coming of Messiah from the tribe of Judah and from the line of David. But there's more, friends. Oh, there's more here. Being a Jew is not just about physicality. It's not just about circumcision and ethnicity, but by a heart and a spiritual heart change. All the way back in the beginning, God was telling his people these things. But they wouldn't listen. Back all the way in the Torah, in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6, it says, And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring, so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, that you may live. All the way back there in Torah, God wanted his people to turn to him, to have hearts that were soft and of flesh, to obey his word, to do what is good, right, and loving. The signs and seals were good things in that they identified and set the people of God apart, but it never saved. And it ultimately was not what God wanted. He wanted people who loved him and did what was right. And so after the exile, we've got another reiteration of the same thing in Ezekiel chapter 11 and verse 19. And I will give them one heart and a new spirit, and I will put within them, I will remove the heart of stone and their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. And they will walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. And when they came out of exile, God was going to put a new heart within them, and he changed his people, and they're waiting for the coming of Messiah, and on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit is poured out, and people are transformed. And now Jew and Gentile constitute one nation. Hubris and hypocrisy should die at the door of the church, This is the house of sinners saved by grace. The community of those who make endless war against sin and the devil. We are those who have died and risen again in Christ and who have had our hearts of stone made alive. What do you think all those motifs were about? If we're told in the New Testament that ultimately all of those types and shadows and motifs that we see were about the new covenant and the people of God. We're the new heavenly Jerusalem. We're the new Israel. We're the new temple. You, brethren, stone upon stone are the new temple. What does that mean? It means ultimately that we are the Judahites, Jew and Gentile together. We are the true Israel in its fulfillment. Ultimately, the body of Christ is what God was pointing at and that God was aiming for to create a new human race. No racial preference, no ethnic dominance. You're either in or out in the blood of the Lamb as the new human race. So brethren, I say to you this morning, put to death, put to death hubris and hypocrisy in your lives and let's get busy here in Buda. In 677, a massive Muslim Arab fleet, flush with their unending victories all across North Africa and the Middle East, was filled with hubris, in the sure knowledge that the city of Constantinople would soon fall under their might. But the Byzantines had a surprise for them. Sending out his smaller fleet, Emperor Constantine IV's ships were equipped with the superweapon of their day, ancient flame-throwing machines known as Greek fire, which burned ships and men, completely destroying the Arab fleet. Hubris is an excessive pride that leads to destruction and often is used to conceal hypocrisy, which compounds the sin. This morning, we've seen in Romans chapter 2 that hubris hides hypocrisy. Soli Deo Gloria, to God alone be the glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, for sometimes it cuts like a double-edged sword. Bless us and strengthen us through the truth that we who have been saved would live as the righteous people of God in a crooked generation. Bless us to do that even this week, for we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.